Does the idea of regular site maintenance stress you out? With modular website design, it doesn't have to. Today, we're talking about what modular website design is, how it might be better than traditional site design, and how you can use it for your business. Are you a startup founder or CMO trying to grow your brand? There's good news, you're not the first. Our growth team is committed to learning and earning the skills and strategies high growth companies have used to build their businesses. And now we're sharing them with you. Welcome to Growth Team Radio. All right, welcome to Growth Team Radio. I am your host today, Chris Dubois, CEO at Lean Labs. And today I am joined by Mr. Miles Yukoma, our VP of Sprocket Rocket. Miles, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show, Chris. All right. Uh, today, we are going to talk about some modular website design. But before we get into all of that, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your history with website design development in general? Sure. I mean, m much like my career, I think that like my history around website design and development is very unconventional. So back in 2008, 2009, when I was in high school, I had started my, my first business with one of uh, a good friend of uh, at, at the time. It was called a uh, wide range of frequencies. We were a music production shop. We made lots of like hip hop and, and pop instrumentals. Mm. And then we would do like the mixing and mastering for artists that like we knew locally. And uh, we spun up a website, which I created with HTML and CSS um, at that time. Now, the reason I knew how to do that was when I was a kid, uh, played a, a lot on an old Mac computer that we had. It was like one of the very first ones where it's fully integrated, uh, the tower and the, the, the monitor, and uh, had learned how to kind of jimmy rig some HTML and CSS um, you know, back in like middle school uh, days. Mm -hmm. So it kind of led me well because when we needed to build out a website, I had enough familiarity to work my way around some of the tools that I had uh, access to. And we were able to build up a website and, and push it live back in 2008. And it was like completely custom build. You know, there, there was no platform that we were using. We just like loaded it up to a server, got the DNS pointing to it, and uh, we're up and running. Um, so <laughs> after um, kind of doing some wide range of frequency stuff and, and being done with that, uh, probably 2011, when I was uh, trans transitioning out of high school into uh, college, I uh, was, was able to join Yacht. Yacht is a student agency um, that was created by UNL, um, University of Nebraska. That's where I attended uh, from 2010 to 2014. And uh, it was kind of like the first thing of its kind. Like the, the complaint that a lot of alumni gave when they were coming out of the university was that they felt like they weren't really prepared for the workforce. There weren't uh, many internship opportunities. There weren't many opportunities where they were working in that uh, agency type of setting. So I had a really, really uh, smart uh, dean and professor that decided, hey, let's start to actually um, you know, showcase what the, ta the talent is that we have at UNL, but also give our students a little bit of exposure into what they can expect as they go into uh, the real world. So I was a founding class of uh, Yacht. There was me and I think like 12 other uh, uh, students that uh, set up this, this brand alongside our professor. And we had paying clients. So, you know, from 2011 to 2013, we took on several paying clients that were local in the Lincoln, Nebraska area. Um, and we built websites. I built websites for all of them. I was the, the, the main uh, web developer for Yacht. And I also made our first iteration of uh, our site 
in 2011. And that ran from 2011, I'm actually quite proud of this, into like 2016 before they decided, hey, we should actually like put this on like Squarespace or something a little bit like more self-serve rather than uh, having this custom solution that nobody else has to, knows how to update um, other than Miles. So yeah. um, that was Yacht probably like 2011 till 2013. And uh, uh, at that time, mm-hmm. I was uh, uh, you know, going to a church in Kansas as well. So my parents are from Kansas City. And uh, I happened to meet an individual by the name of uh, Kevin Barber during uh, one of our, our Bible studies. And uh, th- to, to put it into to, uh, terms that you, w- you would know, Chris, like Kevin's daughters were uh, using binkies and they're still in diapers at the time that uh, mm-hmm. uh, I had first like met him. And uh, I told them like what I was going to school for, for and like some of the stuff that I was doing with with Yacht and what I'd done in my past with a wide range of frequencies. And he's like, hey, like, do you want to build some sites uh, with me? Like I have these type of clients. And it wasn't even Lean Labs at the time. It was Net Profit uh, Services is like back in like 2013 that uh, Kevin had brought me on really just to kind of do some some contracting work. So like, hey, work on this logo. Hey, I have this new landing page I want to get created. Hey, you know, uh, I had a client that came to me and they want to do a WordPress site. Can you build out this type of homepage on it? And for most of like 2013 to 2014, when I wasn't doing track and field, when I wasn't in uh, uh, university, I was kind of picking up these side jobs, mostly from uh, Kevin to kind of refine some of uh, my skills. And I graduated back in uh, 2014 from the University of Nebraska and was selected into uh, what's called the Most Promising Minority Student. Um, It's an award that is uh, given out every single year um, up in uh, New York. And you have to put together like a whole kind of portfolio of why you're actually a decent candidate for uh, this whole thing. And it's essentially a job fair, right? You go to New York and you're able to meet with lots of other uh, potential employers and you do your pitch and, you know, they, they try to position you in a, a place that they feel like will be really good for you. Um, but at that time, after winning, you know, the MPS, I also decided that, hey, this is going to be my only opportunity to pursue what was a lifelong dream of competing in the Olympics. So, like, forget all of these grown up jobs where I get to go and like work for a pharmaceutical company or uh, Marlboro uh, cigarettes and sell death. Uh, I'm going to go and like run around the track and and, and have some fun um, traveling the world and, and pursuing what was a really big dream of me for me, which is becoming a, an Olympian. And that's what really kind of made me focus away from the traditional path uh, and taking one that was more remote or allowed for flexibility so that I could do the traveling, which was Lean Labs. So uh, in 2015, I officially transitioned into being um, part-time uh, with Lean Labs, 100% remote. And I balanced, you know, doing a lot of delivery. That was kind of my, my role. It doesn't even exist uh, today, but I was head of delivery. So really looking at you know building out the site, getting it to a point that it's QC ready, and then doing the migration from its uh, staging area into production and hand-holding the, the, the client along through that whole process, right? So it's kind of like a white-gloved launch um, uh, type of role. And I did that with Lean Labs from like 2015 till, you know, tw- uh, 2016 or so when I went uh, transitioned into growth driven design. So that's like my whole Man. accounting of uh, uh, yeah. web design and development. Oh, yeah, and uh, it has become apparent through you talking that you and I had very different college experiences. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's let's talk 
modular web design, yeah. right? You started learning like CSS, HTML, the old school challenging ways of coding versus modular web design, which I would argue has revolutionized just how we approach websites oh, yeah. in general. Um, let's, uh, what was that like just learning about it and uh, starting to take that approach? Um, it, it's, it's kind of like one of these things that's super enlightening because once you've adopted that approach, you kind of start to question why you ever did it any different before. Like, which is the experience that I had when I had come across the ideas behind modular web design. And I feel like it's like also to it really important to point out that although like I didn't come across these, um, th this trend until like 2015, 2014, um, many other industries had already deployed this type of thinking within their verticals, right? So like manufacturing had modular manufacturing for, for tens, of, uh, uh, tens of years, um, Disney you know, had already kind of figured out the rotoscope and, and how they could take scenes that they had designed for one movie and then employ them in several other movies in order to kind of reduce the cost of that first draft uh, that they had put together. So it wasn't something that was like revolutionary from just like an implementation standpoint, but in the world of, of web development and web design, this was something that was kind of like cutting edge. And the individual that we had looked to um, as kind of the, the, the champion for modular web design was Brad Frost. So back in 2014, 2015, Brad Frost uh, had popularized this, this term called atomic design, which is this idea of taking the sitemap of a website and breaking it down to its smallest component. So you just have a button, you just have an H1, you just have a paragraph text, and each of these components then gets combined together in order to create what he called organisms and what we kind of refer to as modules. And then those modules then get stacked one on top of another in order to create page layouts. And those page layouts subsequently become sitemaps. And, and, and now everything is just coherent all the way down to the components. You have a lot of consistency, but also you have a lot of flexibility and ability to change or adaptability as well, the ability to change individual things that cascade through the full framework. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can change the way that one button looks and then every instance that that button is referenced, it updates, right? And make sure that everything is uh, consistent. So it was about 2014, 2015 that I'd come across uh, Brad, Frost atomic, uh, Brad Frost's atomic design. And then it was really just like the challenge of figuring out, okay, well, what does this mean for us? And then how do we integrate it into what we're doing? Right. And speaking of how we integrate it into what we're doing, I think it was about 2016, that Sprocket Rocket was, uh, I mean, first dreamt up. Oh yeah. Uh, do you want? Do you want? Yeah. Let's talk through that. Actually, just the the foundations of Sprocket Rocket. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, um, you know, Sprocket Rocket really was kind of born as many good products from an internal challenge or problem that we were having to face. And like, you know, my belief is that that's what a business is at its core is it's solving a problem. And the larger the problem is that you solve, the more value you're able to generate around that, the more money that can uh, be made. And, and the problem that we were dealing with, with Sprocket Rocket specifically, or why Sprocket Rocket needed to, to come into existence to deal with this issue, is that with each subsequent build, we were just reinventing the wheel. So to put it into to kind of context and kind of um, lay the land, from 2013 to 2015, we were building in almost any tool that you could imagine. WordPress, Drupal, Joomla, Magento, Shopify, you name it. We were all over the place and we had a lot of capabilities in terms of figuring out how these new tools work. But because we had no focus, we were not efficient. 
every single build was kind of like, all right, we're starting from zero. Like, how do we get a wireframe without any framework of how we, you know, work through it with our clients on how messaging and positioning should work? All right, now that we have this wireframe, how do we get to a first look design without, you know, thinking through here? Here's a uh, the, the design system that we're going to use for all of the subsequent pages, it's really just like, we're going to create a homepage. And if they like that, then we'll tweak in, we'll, we'll use uh, some of these elements for the inside page, et cetera. So we're dealing with this incredible amount of waste or lack of efficiency inside of the agency. And in 2015, we had made this concerted effort where it's like, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to just randomly go and build websites on all of these disparate platforms. If we want to become the best version of ourselves, we got to focus down and niche down inside of one platform. And we decided that HubSpot was going to uh, uh, be the platform that served us in the future because you know marketers were their main uh, persona. And, and most of the people that we were dealing with were on the marketing team. So it was kind of like a no-brainer that we would switch into HubSpot. But when we made the move, the thing that was very disappointing to me as a developer, and I know the rest of the team as well, is like how lacking HubSpot CMS was from a feature and capability standpoint in comparison to tools like WordPress and, and, and uh, many of the others that were popular at that time. And what we were banking on is that HubSpot would fulfill its promise of now that they've created this tool for marketers, they're going to extend it and make it uh, much better for developers to build on top of, right? So in 2015, uh, we made that transition into working exclusively on HubSpot. And then uh, HubSpot has an annual event uh, inbound once a year in Boston. And we were uh, at the 2016 inbound event. And you have, you have to know, like at the inbound event, they always have really incredible speakers. Obama's been there. Oprah's been there. Um, and the year that we had gone, Gary Vaynerchuk was the speaker uh, for the keynote. And he's up on stage and he's talking and he gave a really compelling uh, keynote. And there was one line that he had delivered, like a... Uh, a quote that stuck with us or a dilemma that stuck with us, which was, if you're not working on a business model to put yourself out of business, don't worry, someone else is. And Kevin and I looked at each other and immediately kind of had this moment of like, wow, we're not doing that. Uh, we're not working on a business model that could eventually disrupt us. If anything, we're doing what everyone else is, uh, right? We're, we're, we're one of many. So you know, there, there was this concern, um, uh, even though Gary had done a great job with his, his message, there was this concern that we left uh, his keynote with, which is, what are we going to do that's going to you know, transform us into the brand that we want to be when we grow up? And then the very next day uh, at Inbound, HubSpot, Brian Halligan and, and uh, Darmesh uh, Shah came on, on stage and they unveiled custom modules, which became kind of like the bedrock for what Sprocket Rocket is. And for those of you that don't know, custom modules are just reusable components. They're modular components that we can build once and then use on all subsequent builds uh, from there on, right? So you get your navigation, you get your hero section, you get your two column, and all of those just become starting points that we can use for each subsequent build. And it really kind of dawned on us like, wow, this is a way that we can take our time from really focusing on reinventing the wheel and repurpose it into that 20% of customization and bespoke work that really changes uh, the perception of how good a website is and how performant a website is. Now that we have the history <laughs> of, of everything and, and we understand what modular websites, what that even means, right? Uh, let's talk some of the key benefits. Uh, so you start taking that modular approach instead of having to code everything from scratch. What are we looking at? What's our What's the selling point? Right. So like, I feel like, so you're, you're always, whenever we're saying like, what are we looking at? It's like in comparison to what? So like when we look at 
modular website design, I look at it in comparison to traditional website design. And like from a traditional standpoint, we didn't really talk about that as much. Usually when you're doing a traditional build, it's going to involve tons of designing and coding each page from scratch, right? As you would imagine, this is incredibly time consuming. It's really inefficient. Uh, and you end up with a result that is inflexible, right? So like what is built is not intended for a marketer to come behind it and to update copy or to change out imagery or to, to try to run split tests against it. It's kind of viewed as, hey, this is the best shot that we had at that time of representing our business. And we won't make any changes to this until we are now ready to do a complete reskin from top to bottom of the entire website, right? So modular design focused on creating those reusable components that can be combined in various ways, making it much easier for us to kind of update and maintain the site. Um, and as we make updates to these components, each of those instances are then also going to be updated, meaning that you know maintenance and future extension is taking a fraction of the time that it used to with the traditional website, where you would have to literally recreate the entire website in order to make some of these more meaningful differences. So like when you when you look at the two uh, paths that you can take, the traditional website versus the modular website, there's several key benefits that start to kind of pop out. One is faster development and updates, which we've already mentioned. From a development standpoint, if I'm not having to spend all of my time reinventing the wheel, if I start from a point that's 80% there, then that 20% that's actually needed to get to the end result, that's a lot more time that I have available to me because I'm not having to code out a, a, a CTA element. I'm not having to create a div for uh, uh, you know the, where the hero is going to be inside of. Like I'm just focused on how do I get all of these very specific custom designed elements to a point that the customer or the client is happy to launch them. So much faster development uh, time and much faster update time. Uh, another area that I know that designers are very keen on. Um, many designers will spend painstaking time looking through each detail, ensuring that there's just enough padding between the text uh, uh, block in the mod or the uh, button that sits right beneath it, and that the image that's in the background doesn't contrast against the text and make it unreadable. You know, th they spend all of this time on these details that inevitably create a very clean and polished design. And then they hand that off with trust to the developer in the hopes that they're going to pay attention the same way that they did inside of that design process as, as the developer is inside of the development process. And we all know. Right. And to just to add a little uh, extra on top here to really like sell the point on how specific designers get, uh, Christian has scolded me before. And you can go back, listen, we have an episode on Beyond Aesthetics, talking website design with uh, Christian Teichner. I got feedback from a client. I just changed one image by moving it a little bit. And he called out that it was four pixels <laughs> off. He like, he spotted it and was like, don't mm -hmm. touch my designs. I'm like, man. Yep. So yeah. So that there, is, there you go. So critical, like, uh, imagine, you know, people always talk <laughs> about the, the, how uh, sales and marketing are like cats and dogs. That same thing exists for designers and developers because they're having to do this, this trust yeah. game of like, oh, well, I handed you a good lead. How come you didn't convert that lead? I handed you a beautiful design. How come you implemented this design poorly? Right. right? So like the, the same <laughs> type of abrasion exists between the handoff between marketing and sales as there is between design and development. And that enhanced mm -hmm. consistency that you get from working inside of a design system or a modular design is a game changer in terms of relations between designers in developers. When the developer has more time to spend looking at those small choices that have been made from a design standpoint, 
and they're also bought in to how that overall design pattern is going to come into play when the sitemap is is done, then you are already starting from a place where there's going to be more consistency from design into development. And that makes designers very, very happy. Um, you know, like I, I look at that from a collaboration standpoint as well. For for us inside of our modular design journey, we created a Figma file because all of our designers use Figma that mirrors the exact patterns that are inside of our development uh, 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 framework, right? Mm -hmm. So what does that allow? It allows for our designers and developers to have a common framework that they work between. So when they're referencing certain components, yeah. they reference them by name and the designer has that component already designed inside of Figma and the developer has that component already developed inside of HubSpot. So now any changes that are made on top of that existing module um, can be easily documented and handed off to the developer to make sure that there's more consistency and better collaboration uh, between designers and developers. So we've touched on you know, faster development and updates. We've touched on enhanced consistency and making sure that the brand identity is coherent throughout the sitemap. We touched on the fact that you have, you have much better collaboration between designers and developers. And for the end user, where I think that this really takes a cake is having that improved flexibility and the, this idea of kind of self-serve. Right. When, when we uh, finish the website for one of our clients, as much as we would love to continue to work with them underneath the retainer, growth driven design, inbound, because that's where we're going to get the best results is over time as we're working alongside them as their growth team. Mm -hmm. There's many cases where the brand just wants to take that website and drive with it themselves. And that's one thing that's like been a, uh, a central philosophy inside of how we've worked on our uh, modular website design system is how do we ensure that the end user has that ability to self-serve. They have that ability to have the flexibility to make changes to existing pages or build new ones inside of their sitemap without having to come back to us. And, and these are all things that modular design kicks butt at. In traditional design, it really kind of takes a back seat uh, in some of these areas. Yeah. Okay. So let's go from there. Modular design does make it much easier for even if you have no experience, right, building websites to be able to take something and run with it. But what challenges does it still bring for companies, right? They're, they're planning out their strategy. They've probably, they're used to a traditional probably framework for building their website. Like what, what should they be thinking about in order to actually? Yeah, I mean, it's such a good point, right? There's, there's a lot of common challenges in implementing modular website design systems. And like the, the first one that comes to mind for, with me is actually resistance from change or, or resistance to change from stakeholders. Like, like many other things, like this mm. actually is, is one that can derail projects. Uh, and, and, and resistance to change from stakeholders comes in many shapes and forms, right? You, you have like somebody that's just reluctant to do anything different from what they've done in the past, regardless of the fact that what they've done in the past has gotten them the result that they have today, which is why they're talking to you because they need a better result. Um, they still have that hurdle that they have to overcome, right? So that's, that's one type of resistance. The worst type of resistance, in my opinion, is the swoop and poop. Because it hits you out of nowhere. And usually it's at the very end of the project. So like for those of you that don't know, the swoop and poop is where you're working with a set of stakeholders. Maybe it's two, three, four, five. And you're having regular meetings with a couple of the stakeholders. And they're completely bought into what this, this uh, direction is that you've decided on. And they actually were a deciding party inside of the direction that you went in. And then you make all of these decisions throughout the life cycle of that project. You get to right at the end where you're ready to push this whole thing live. We're happy and we're doing like a final review. And now some of the stakeholders that were present at the start of the project but dropped off throughout the life cycle are showing up once again. 
And, and what do these swooping poopers do? They look at all the decisions that were made throughout the course of that website. And they say, why did you guys do X, Y, and Z? This is terrible. Change all of it without an understanding of the decisions that had been made previously and why. The swoop and poop is the scariest thing uh, in the world for, for yep. agencies especially, but it's super frustrating as well for the stakeholders that were working alongside the, uh, the, the agency in the, in, from the beginning, right? Because they're like, what the heck? This person wasn't here. They didn't know any of the decisions that we're going to make. They don't know why we just we chose to go with the modular design system uh, versus the traditional. They don't know why we made this decision because yeah. right. So, I I think that like the resistance to change also shows up inside a swoop and poop because people just aren't engaged. They're not fully bought in to the larger picture of what it is right. that we're trying to do with the modular uh, design system. Yeah. Pro tip for anyone running projects who is now worried about the swoop and poop or has seen it in action, call it out at the start of your project and you will be amazed at how how few people actually go through and do it. You just say, hey, this is something we see in projects, so we want to make sure it doesn't happen. Nobody wants right. to be that guy at that point, right? <laughs> Even if it's the CEO of some multi-million dollar company, he does not want to be the one who everyone looks at and says, oh, you did it. Even though one are told not to. Like call it out so, just like that and then... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, make sure that you're you're properly documenting those decisions as well, right? So like if you can point back and say, yeah, we made this choice, this choice, this choice, and this choice, and this choice because of this reason, you know, it, it's much harder for that person that's right. swooping pooping to feel very confident in their, you know, fly by the seat of their pants decision making. Right. Flying by the seat of your pants. As you <laughs> All right. Enough, enough swooping and pooping here. Um, Let's talk uh, some real world examples, right? We both built web planet, a lot of websites now. Uh, you've got a couple more mm -hmm. under your belt than I do. But uh, let's talk about some of those examples, right? With ideally successful ones. We know what can go wrong with some of these projects. Um, when, uh, what are we looking at? What types of results are, are we able to deliver you know, because of modular designs? Um, what's it look like for just maintenance updates? Yeah. Things so, like I mean, that. I'll, I'll kind of pitch it in... I'll pitch it from the, the agency side, and then we can talk about it from the, the brand side as well. From an agency standpoint, it's mm -hmm. been the game changer. It's kind of the life and blood of all of our development projects, because as I'd mentioned before, we were doing the reinvent the wheel um, approach. And, and with that came razor thin margins, right? And we were constantly worried about losing money on these super large projects that on onset looked as if they could never become unprofitable. Right. So when we introduced the, the, these modular systems, what happened for us is that we were, much, uh, we, were much, we were much better at being able to project the level of effort to get to a result. Right. So this makes estimating easier. This makes scoping easier. This makes putting together quotes a lot easier because many of these components already exist. Right. Uh, we've used them in order to get to a result before, and we have tracked and documented how much time it took for those previous results to, to uh, materialize. So now we have a better framework that we can work underneath. So that we're not just like sticking our finger up in the wind and saying, hey, I think that this is you know 40K. I think that this project is, is $35,000. So, so for us um, as an agency, it became a way for us to increase our margins while also ensuring that our client's end result 
um, was no different than if we were going through kind of the reinventing the wheel. There, there wasn't a drop in satisfaction from our client standpoint when we adopted uh, modular design. And, and in fact, it was the exact opposite. They loved the fact that they got all of those uh, uh, those pros of moving to a modular system. They're like, this is great. I have the ability to take this and drive with it myself. I can launch new pages. I can set up new A-B tests. So from, from their standpoint, they're also equally excited. But for us, the night and day difference was, you know, going from five, six, eight percent margin to 40, 50, 60 uh, percent margin on the projects that uh, we were selling. Um, do you want to? Right. That added margin also means we have some flexibility, right? When we see an opportunity on the website to just make it mind blowing, that it's like you don't have to worry about breaking the bank. You can go give a little bit of extra value in order to make something really crush it, get that case study, right? That user story back, right? Yeah. Um, let's talk from the brand side. Yeah. Okay. So, so from the brand Wonder side, I... where this always tends to play is this idea of time to market, right? So time to market is so valuable because you're able to validate the assumptions that you have with real users or invalidate them, right? Um, and, and, and having the ability to work on top of these systems that allow for the quick changes makes all of the difference from an optimization standpoint. It's not that most brands don't have access to the data to make data-driven decisions. It's that they're not reviewing it um, or, or, or they, they've, they've set it up in such a way that it's very cumbersome to get to the point where they can make the actionable insights reality. Right, so it, let's say that they come to the, the homepage and they're looking at the analytics there, and they're like, "Wow, the bounce rate is super high on on this page. Maybe we should try out a different masthead." Right, time to market is all right. Let's call up the agency that we work with and let's tell them about this problem, and then let's mm -hmm. hope that they put it into their queue so that two weeks later they've considered it, and then we'll have a conversation two weeks from now, and at that point we'll decide. All right, yeah, we also agree. We need to redesign this homepage, and maybe two months from the point that we actually identify that this is a problem, we're going to have a change that's out in the market that uh, tests our assumption, right? Mm -hmm. That's time to market versus you as the marketer seeing we have a really high bounce rate on our homepage. I think that if I change out this masthead and the messaging that's here, it's going to be able to result in more engagement and therefore reduce the, the bounce rate on, on, on the page. And then jumping into the tool that you use to host your website and making all of those changes on the fly and publishing them for the world to see, right? So that's kind of the difference. If you're working underneath a traditional build where everything is static, then you're going to go through the agency route and you're beholden to when they're able to actually address your original query. Versus if you self-serve and you have your own website, you're jumping into the platform, making the changes, boom, it's out in the live and we're able to validate our assumptions. All right. I've got, actually, I want to talk about how trends are evolving with technology and design. Um, how do you see the future of modular website design? Yeah, it's like, B2B and, business I feel like you're, um, you're not hip unless you say like AI nowadays or especially like generative technology. So <laughs> I'll, I'll make my pitch for how I could see like um, specifically like generative AI coming into play with some of these t uh, trends that we're seeing around the modular website. So this is like we're future casting, right? This is the future of modular website design. And some of the stuff that we're doing today is laying the groundwork for these things to, to be a, a reality. But like imagine a world where you know, you're simply drawing a wireframe of your website, you select a theme inside of uh, the platform that best suits you and your brand. And then you have two to three fully designed and developed websites inside of your platform that can serve as your starting point. 
right? Really similar to how in a tool like Midjourney, you throw in a text written prompt and you get a visual um, return, right? Uh, uh, platforms like uh, OpenAI are already demoing things like this. During their developer uh, um, keynote, they had showed this example where they're able to do a hand-drawn wireframe and then they took a picture of that, they uploaded it to uh, ChatGPT, and then it returned all of the code that was necessary to dev out one of uh, the, those pages that it's following the same structure as the wireframe that you had just drawn. So like, th this is not like a far-fetched um, reality by any means. And, and really what it'll come down to is just interoperability. And what I mean by interoperability is the, the ability for the AI platforms to use the tools that we've created from a development standpoint. Once it has context of, okay, these are all the different modules, these are all the layouts that would typically be used in these type of situations. Uh, here's data from conversion, uh, from, from previous uh, tests that we've run, A-B tests, that shows that these type of layouts are higher converting on these type of industries than others, right? And here's three or four different possibilities, Mr. Marketer, on how you could go about creating this, this layout. Like we're close, right? We're, we're less than five years away from that being mainstream available to everyone. That will be... Crazy. Um, all right. I got cool. one last question for you. Uh -oh. It's going to be a loaded one. Can you provide some tips or advice right, for businesses that are starting to consider adopting modular website design? They just don't know where. Are they adopting it like to create their own modular system or are they just like, ah, I'm going to go out and. Building a website. They got to, they got to get their company's new website built out. They said, hey, hey, we're not doing this a traditional way. Okay. Um, what do we do? Well, hey, there's there's always the, the opportunity to do this thing in-house. So I'll talk about it from the standpoint of if I were in-house and I were tasked with that type of, of role or uh, um, assignment, what I would do to get started. So first is kind of defining what the goal is. What is the goal of this new site that you're going to be launching? If you haven't defined the goal, there's no point of even <laughs> starting, right? Like you have to have an expectation of after we have done X, we're going to get Y. So once I have that goal defined, what I would do is I would start to audit the existing website and identifying those areas that are creating a lack of the outcome that you want. So these are areas for improvement. And then we're going to start to research what would we change in those areas in order to get the outcome that we would actually want. Now, this mapping, I know that it seems like that's a lot of, of work, but once you have the mapping done, you're going to have this rec doc, you're going to have a requirement doc that says, all right, when we're ready to choose a modular design platform for us, it needs to do X, Y, and Z. Because in order for us to hit our goal, and uh, we've identified that we have these gaps, and if we were able to improve them like this, then we would get an outcome that we want. That's the hypothesis, right? So that rec doc is everything in helping to select what the right modular design platform is, what the right theme is, if you're already inside of HubSpot. And, and, and then it's a matter of looking at the different themes that are available to you, figuring out which of them have the reusable modules that are going to best serve you and getting started with validating your assumptions. Because at the end of the day, all of these are just hypotheses. And until rubber meets the road, they're actually out in production, you won't be able to validate if your assumptions of the areas of improvement are actually going to lead to that end result. But I always start with the goal. And then from there, I try to do an audit to see based off of my own insights, hey, where do I think we're missing? Um, and what could be improved in order to get closer to that goal. Mm -hmm. And then once I have that rec doc, it's much easier for me to evaluate all of the existing solutions in the competitive landscape to determine what is the best tool for my use case. All right. Any other 
closing tips? No, no. Hopefully uh, some of this has been really helpful and uh, I've enjoyed the talk. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Thank you for joining me uh, in this conversation about modular website design. Um, I think this is a good primer for for listeners who are just unfamiliar with this approach. Um, And it's definitely worth trying out. I'm going to give a shout out to sprocketrocket.co. Go check it out. You can look it up in the HubSpot Marketplace. Uh, Miles, if anyone wants to yeah, learn more about you, you can find me on Twitter. You. It's Miles, M-I-L-E-S-U-K-A-O-M-A. Um, that's my handle. Or you can find me on LinkedIn underneath Miles Yacoma. I think I'm the only one uh, in the world so far. But uh, if there's another one, they might be an imposer. But yeah, Miles <laughs> Yacoma on Twitter and Miles Yacoma on LinkedIn. Awesome. All right. For everyone, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you never miss an episode. And Also, please be sure to take the time uh, to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast application. Uh, And until next time, this has been Growth Team Radio. Want to grow your business? Trying to find the right path to do it? We've got the answer. Go to stopscaling.com. Yes, you heard right. Go to stopscaling.com where we'll show you the exact way to grow your business this year. 